The following is a recording of Pastor Doug Landrum of Grace Bible Church, preaching a sermon on Galatians 1, 11 through 15 on January 10th, 2021. In 1998, Jim Carrey played Truman Burbank in a movie called The Truman Show. If you haven't seen it, don't worry, I'm going to ruin it for you. The storyline of the movie is that Truman believes himself to be living a normal life. He grows up on Sea Haven Island. And uh, he grows up with his mom, who for a time is living without her husband because he's supposedly dead due to a boating accident. And Truman grows up with this incredible, debilitating fear of water. And in concert with the boating accident that his dad had, there's signs everywhere on the island about the danger of travel and the virtue of staying home, because Sea Haven Island is certainly the best place in the world to live. Well, eventually Truman grows up, he gets married, of course not to the girl that he wanted to be married to, because she suddenly moves to Fiji with her parents, which he always wants to visit Fiji, but ends up marrying another girl and always dreams of Sylvia, the girl that left. And uh, he ends up working as an insurance salesman in a very uh, normal, uneventful life. But Truman begins to realize that there are unusual circumstances that surround him. There's a spotlight that falls from the sky randomly onto the road. Uh, Sometimes it rains only on Truman and nowhere else. There is a radio frequency that seems to detail his every movement. And his dad, who was supposedly dead, reappears and uh, somehow gets reunited with him. Well, Truman comes to figure out what, if you've seen the movie, you already know, that he was actually the star of a reality TV show without realizing it that uh, Sea Haven Island was actually not an island at all. It was a dome in Hollywood that was the brainchild of Kristoff, who was the show's producer. That for 30 years, Truman had been watched by the world through 5,000 different cameras, only to realize that his entire life was a lie. It was nothing but an illusion, and in fact, it was worse. He was the product of an invention by a guy who really controlled him. What would it be like for you to wake up one day and realize that your entire life or something you had trusted in your entire life, something that maybe you even banked your life upon, was a lie? It was an illusion. What would it be like for you to wake up one day and realize that something you thought was absolute reality was nothing more than an invention of man? What would it be like for you If somebody told you that about the gospel, that this gospel of freedom in Christ from slavery and sin, slavery to sin and to death, was really nothing more than a clever concoction of human ingenuity meant to give you this illusory hope that would get you through life. But it was nothing more than a lie. It was nothing more than man's invention. What would it be like for you? Maybe somebody has told you that. In fact, maybe what I just described is a conversation you've had with yourself in your own mind as you battle against your tendency to doubt. If you can imagine what that would be like, or maybe if you've experienced that firsthand, then you can probably get a good sense of what these Galatian believers were going through. I mean, these were people who had been given the gospel of free grace in Christ. Amen? And what is the gospel from what we talked about last week? Well, Paul tells us, 
from the very beginning of the letter. Listen to Galatians 1.1 and then 3 and 4. Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead. Well, why did he need to be raised from the dead? Because he died, right? Galatians 1.3, grace to you and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ was raised to conquer death for the glory of God. That's what they had received. And according to Paul, listen to this, these Galatians had been rescued. Galatians chapter 1, to rescue us from this present evil age. These Galatians had been justified by faith in Christ. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. These Galatians had been removed from curse and given the eternal blessing of the Spirit of God. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. These Galatians had been adopted as children of God and were heirs of being Abraham's true descendants as the people of God. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. But now they were being told none of that is true. What if all of it is just a lie? What if it's just an illusion? What if it's not reality? What if it's just too good to be true? You can imagine how disturbing that might have been. Because that's what these Judaizers were telling them. That's what these false teachers were doing to the Galatians. This is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he said, As I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. Listen to this. Some folks troubling you. The word trouble there is the boiling of water. Somebody has taken the foundation out from under your life and they're agitating you. You're uncertain. You're not sure. You've been troubled. Because somebody's distorting the message that you banked your life upon. And they had banked their life upon this message, hadn't they? And so have we. I mean, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, you have banked your life that this is true. Amen? Can you imagine how disturbing it would be for somebody to tell you it's just an illusion? This is not real. Paul's gospel needs to be corrected. What he told you... And, and listen, what they were doing is not only calling the gospel into question, they were saying, what if Paul, who is supposedly an authorized representative of Jesus, what if he's not who he claimed to be? That calls into question everything he said. What's at stake here is not merely a difference of opinion. What's at stake here is life and death. If these Galatians were to accept that Paul was not a real apostle, if these Galatians were to accept the Judaizers' correction, in quotation marks, of the gospel, if they, were, if they were to accept that this correction that these Judaizers had given the gospel was true, it would be to walk straight into the curse of God. Galatians 1.9 says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema, accursed. For you to embrace that Correction of my gospel is to be accursed. It is to turn your back on grace and to embrace condemnation. 
Galatians 5, 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. And I want to tell us tonight, it is the same with us, beloved. If we buy into another message that sounds close to the gospel, but it's not the gospel, if we accept the devil's lie that all of this is false, it can't be true, it's too good to be true, Paul's not who he said he was, this is all a lie. If we build our life on anything else other than the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we perish. That's what's at stake here. And I think that's why Paul wants, and I think more importantly, God wants for us to have gospel steel in our spines, right? Gospel steel. Because here's what I know. The devil is going to use every power of hell to try to move you away from the gospel, isn't he? He's going to try to move you away from the hope of the gospel. He might do it with pleasure. He might do it with comfort, drawing you away, saying, that, you know, it's a little, that's a big sacrifice. He might do it with the waves of persecution. Are you really, you, you really ready to give that much? Or he might do it with the wind of false doctrine. But however he wants, he's going to try to move you away from the hope of the gospel that God has rooted you in. And what Paul wants to give you is gospel steel in your spine so that you don't move. That's what this is about. So how's Paul going to give us gospel steel in our spines? He's going to defend this truth. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm about to give you the main point of the entire passage, okay? Here's the main point. Paul wants to give us gospel steel by defending this truth. This is God's gospel. Now why don't we just say that together to help us remember it. This is God's gospel. Paul says in Galatians 1.11, this is basically his thesis statement that he's about to defend. Paul likes to argue deductively. He's going to give you right at the beginning what he wants you to know, and then he's going to defend it. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1.11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's it. Listen, the gospel that I preach and the gospel that you read on the pages of Scripture that I wrote, that ain't man's gospel, that's God's. When we crack open this book and we're reading, in particular, the book of Galatians, it is as if God himself were here speaking it to us because these are his words. And John Piper said, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. Amen? Because these are, this is his gospel. These are his words. That's what Paul's saying. Now, how is it that Paul's going to defend that? Look at Galatians 1.12. He says, for. Thank you, Paul, for connecting those two verses. I did not receive it, meaning the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, this is God's gospel because I didn't get it from a man and I wasn't taught it. I got it straight from Jesus. Now everything in the rest of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is to defend that point. I'm, I'm about to show you. I didn't get this from a man. I wasn't taught this by any man. I got this straight from Jesus Christ, all right? Paul says, this is God's gospel. Let me show you why. 
He's saying, I received this gospel and my calling to represent Jesus and proclaiming it to you directly from Jesus himself. I didn't invent this gospel. I didn't invent my calling to proclaim it to you. I didn't get it from anybody else. I was not taught it. This message is straight from God. So listen, you say, why does that matter? Because if it's straight from God, to not accept it is to not accept him. It's not ultimately to reject Paul alone. It's rejecting Christ because it's from him. One commentator said it this way, the gospel is not man's good news about God. It is God's good news for man. Let me say that again. The gospel is not man's good news about God. It's God's good news for man. The gospel is not an illusion. The gospel is not a lie. It's not an invention of man. Paul says, I want to teach you this is God's gospel because I got it straight from him. Now here's the question. How is Paul going to show us that he got his gospel straight from Jesus? He's going to tell us a story. Y'all like stories? I love stories, and I especially love people's testimonies. You like to hear people's testimonies? There's almost nothing that encourages me more than to hear people when they talk about being a sinner and being radically converted to Christ. We were talking about that today in, in cell group. Hey, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if it was a kid. It doesn't matter if you were 25. It doesn't matter if you were 50. Whenever, to hear what God did in somebody's life to save them is so encouraging, right? Well, here's what Paul's about to do. He's going to give us his testimony. Now he starts, you say, what, what parts of his testimony does he give us? Here you go. If you're a note taker, here you go. We got the main point. Paul's got three parts of his testimony. I hope you can remember this. Before he was saved, when he was saved, and after he was saved. I'm going to go over that again. Before he was saved, when he was saved, and after he was saved. All right, now here's Paul starting with before he was saved. And remember, what he's showing us is, I didn't get my gospel from a man. I wasn't taught it by a man. I got it straight from God, as well as my calling to be an apostle. Now you say, why does Paul start with his life before Christ? Here's why. He wants to show how ridiculous it would be to assume that some man could change a guy like Paul. He wants us to see how ridiculous it would be to assume that just some man could take this gospel and convince him. How's he going to show us that? Well, he says, I hated Jesus. And I hated the church. And I hated this gospel. He said, do you think some man could convince me of the truth of this gospel? This came from God. That's the point. One commentator said this, By appealing to his personal history, Paul established beyond any doubt that he did not learn his gospel from men. Beginning with his pre-conversion life, he showed that his only relationship to the church was that of a fanatic persecutor of it. The only relationship Paul had to Jesus was kill him. That's it. Did you hear what he said in Galatians 1.13? Listen to this again. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Did you see what Paul said about himself? Violent and destroy. The word destroy is the same word that was used in ancient Greek when they sacked a city. That's what Paul says. That's what I wanted to do to the church. Sack it like the Greeks used to sack a city. John Chrysostom, who was a preacher back in the... Uh, fourth century, said this, it signified an attempt to extinguish 
to pull down, to destroy, to annihilate the church. Paul's goal was nothing less than the total extermination of Christianity. He was such a fanatic that no one would even have attempted to change his mind. This guy wanted to see the church destroyed. By the way, there's a few things to note here about Paul's fanaticism to destroy the church. If you're the guy that says, I'll take everybody's coats so that you can have your arms unimpeded while you throw stones to kill a Christian, you're a fanatic persecutor of the church. Hey, let me have your coats. I want to make sure your arm works real well as you throw stones at Stephen. I mean, here's a guy who's given his tacit approval to it. Not only that, whenever he was converted, nobody actually believed that he was an apostle, right? Listen to Acts chapter 8 as, he talks, as Luke talks about Saul. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can you imagine a guy going in and dragging off women? That's how fanatic Saul was. And after he gets converted, Acts 9.26, nobody believes him. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, with good reason. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Did you notice in Galatians 1.13 where he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism? Meaning, this dude had an empire-wide reputation for persecuting the church. He said, you heard about it. Y'all know what's up. You don't, even, you don't even need me to tell you. You know. I have an empire-wide reputation for persecuting the church. He was so violent, they didn't even want to accept him as a disciple. Now, ask yourself this question. Is that the guy that would have somebody come up and say, Paul, you just missed the gospel. Let me explain it to you. And be convinced? Is that the guy? I don't think so. That's the guy that says, come here, let me throw you in prison. And it wasn't just that. Notice what else Paul says about himself pre-Christ. Galatians 1.14. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Everybody focus in on that phrase that says traditions of my fathers. That probably refers to the oral law that distinguished the Pharisees from all of the other Jews. Paul, I think here, is making a reference to his Pharisaism. By the way, just a New Testament reminder, nobody hated Jesus as much as the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were the ones that constantly plotted Jesus' death. Paul says, I'm not just a Pharisee, man, I'm like a Pharisee of Pharisees. This man was like going above and beyond. Look what he says in Galatians 1.14 again. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, so extremely zealous. He's like, I'm getting an A in the class as a Pharisee. Going above and beyond. He even said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now ask yourself this question, how likely, how likely is it that a notoriously violent opponent of Christ in the most notoriously vengeful group against Christ would all of a sudden be convinced by some random person that the gospel that he hated is true? It's not only unlikely, it's impossible. 
Paul says, do you think I got this gospel from a man given who I was? If Paul were ever going to receive this message, it would have to be something dramatic, which is what leads us to his conversion. How is it that Paul, the persecutor of the church, became Paul, the persecuted preacher of Jesus? Ask yourself that question. How did that happen? Was it great oratory from a gifted speaker? Was it clever human reasoning? Or was it something altogether different, something more profound, a transformation that a man cannot produce? And what about you? For those of us who are in this room, who are Christ followers, what happened to you? How did you get transformed? Why is it that you're believing right now? Was it just that somebody had enough logic to convince you that this is true? Because if that were the case, they could also convince you that this is just an illusion. But if you've been converted, if you have been transformed by the true gospel of Christ, you know <laughs> there's something more profound that happened to me, right? That change is deeper than just this random you know, change of my mind where I got the logic. No, there's something else going on. So now Paul goes to his conversion. And what Paul's doing in retelling his conversion story is saying this, as one commentator put it, my conversion and commission owed nothing to man but were of God. How else could such a transformation from persecutor to preacher be explained? Seriously, no, seriously, explain it. Paul, the most notoriously violent opponent of Jesus, becomes a preacher who is giving his life for Christ. Explain that on human terms. You can't explain that on human terms. Amen? You can't. And so Paul starts talking about this gospel that he receives, and what he wants to show is that his receiving the gospel and being converted is totally of God. Because this gospel is not from man, this is God's gospel. So he starts off in the beginning. He says in Galatians 1.15, listen to this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, stop for a second, Mercy. <laughs> Can you imagine how shocking it would have been for Paul to know after he gets saved, God set me apart before I was born. Think about my life. God chose me before I was born. When the Lord talked to Ananias and told him to go see Paul, here's what he said, go, Acts 9.15, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I think Paul saw in Jeremiah's call to be a prophet what God was doing in his own life because the language is so similar. Jeremiah 1.5 before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul knew himself chosen by God. He set me apart. And listen to this. A guy named, last name Campbell wrote this. He said, Paul knew that God had providentially set him apart from birth and that all his life to this point was a preparation for his ministry as a proclaimer of the gospel of God's grace. God set him apart and his entire life was God preparing him for the moment where he would break in with light and call him to be a preacher. 
God's ways are not like ours, right? Let me ask you about you. Why are you here? Why do you believe? Is it because you're smarter? Is it because you just figured it out and nobody else did? Why are you, why are you a Christian? Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And I just want to invite you to celebrate that tonight if you're in Christ. Celebrate that tonight if you're in Christ. He chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ, knowing that He would purchase you and pay your debt on the cross. He planned it. And then one day, He would draw you to Himself that you might believe. Look what verse 13, Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He chose you. He bought you. He drew you. And when you trusted in Him, He applied by the Spirit everything that He had won for you on the cross. That's why you're here. That's why you believe. And you might say to yourself, if God knew that He was going to save Paul and call him to be a preacher, good grief, couldn't He have done it earlier? I mean, think about the lives that Paul ruined. People are dead. Families are torn apart. Christians in prison, suffering. And you say, come on God, why did you wait so long? Paul knew why he waited so long. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1, 16-17, but I received mercy. Paul talking about himself, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, you want to know why God waited so long and let me do everything that I, I did to show His patience is greater than my sin and it's never too late for you. You might be thinking, I don't know. You might be thinking, I'm too far gone. And Paul said, no, no you're not. You might be sharing with a family member who says, I'm too far gone. And Paul says, no, you're not. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. And I'm a living example that His patience is greater than your hardness. Paul knew himself chosen. Do you know what it takes to turn someone so rebel-hearted like Paul into a preacher? Not man's intervention, but God's ordination. That's a work of God, folks. Well, God didn't just choose him, God called him. Listen again to Galatians 1.15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, and i got to tell you, there's always favorite parts of sermons. Y'all going to have to give me a minute right here. I love this. What does it mean that God called him? 
I think Paul's thinking back to his experience on the Damascus Road. You remember what happened. Paul's on his way. He's got some companions. They're going to go arrest some Christians, persecute the church. He's got the orders from Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ confronts him. Boom! And the glory of God is manifest. And the voice of Jesus is heard audibly. And there are men who are with him, his companions, who hear but see nobody. Hang on to that for just a second. What happens to Paul in that moment? You remember? Anybody remember? He goes blind, right? He goes blind. I think that Paul's physical blindness is actually the key to understanding what's going on in his heart as well as what it is to be called of God. If you will, go over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. This is how Paul talks about what it is to be saved, what it is to be called. Paul says, verse 4, in their case, whose case? You just got to look at verse 3, those who have the gospel veiled to them. Unbelievers. In their case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? Come on, this is the audience participation part of our program. The devil, right? Satan. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You say, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world is that they are spiritually dead. You say, what does that mean? It means that sinners who have not been converted to Christ can't see. They don't see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The gospel makes no sense to them, right? I think when God blinded Paul by the glory of Christ, he was saying, that's just to show you what's going on in your heart because you're blind to my glory. You don't see. Now Paul writes what happens when God breaks in. Watch this. Verse 5. For what we proclaim, proclaim, preach the gospel is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake now watch this for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that's how you got saved what happened is that God took the word and drove it into your heart and open the eyes of your heart that you might see the glory of Christ. That's what it is to be called by God. And that's why Paul says in the very next part of Galatians 1, Galatians 1.16, that when God was pleased to reveal His Son in me, that's what he's talking about. God revealed Jesus to Paul in his heart and opened the eyes of his heart to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it is to be called. That's what it is to have Jesus revealed to you. There are external calls all the time. You remember those guys on the road with Paul? They hear the audible voice of Jesus. But what's happening in their heart is not what's happening in his heart. I'm making an external call right now. I'm preaching the word to you. But unless God takes this word and jams it into your heart and opens you to see Jesus you won't. That's what it means to be called. Whenever God reveals Christ to somebody, Jesus is no longer boring. He's no longer threatening. He's no longer irrelevant. 
He's life. Amen? This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, he said, but we preach Christ crucified. That's the gospel. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Is that not your experience? Who was Jesus to me before I got saved? Irrelevant. Boring. A stumbling block in my life who was going to get in the way of my plans? And then one day, maybe this is your story, you were listening to a sermon, or you were reading the Word, or somebody was talking to you about the Gospel, or you remembered something that you had heard, and all of a sudden, boom! And Jesus is beautiful. That's God. And you can't produce that. You can't make that happen. So that whenever God does that, listen to the rest of the verse, but to those who are called, meaning called by God, Jesus revealed to them, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who is Jesus for those whom God has called and opened to see how beautiful He is? He's everything. This is why it makes no sense to me when people say, I'm a Christian, have no time for the things of God. You're not a Christian. You haven't been changed. Because if you've been changed by Jesus, your life is different. You see Him differently. He's the treasure of the universe. Not just a ticket to get you into heaven. One commentator said, blinded as he has been to the deity of Jesus Christ and thinking that Jesus the Nazarene was a fraud, God gave Paul an outward vision of Christ on the Damascus road and an inner revelation concerning the full significance of the person and work of the Savior. The purpose of this revelation was that Paul might preach him among the Gentiles. And isn't it interesting to hear Paul say that God revealed Christ in him so that he could say this, a passage Matt was quoting earlier, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me because God revealed him to me. And you know who Christ is now? He's my life. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is not the work of a man. This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel because only He could produce this type of change in a man like Paul and only He could produce the change that He produced in me. And what's interesting is these first century Jewish believers in the church of Jerusalem understood that. Look at Galatians 1, 23-24. These are the churches in Jerusalem and it says, they were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. These Judaizers came from Jerusalem. But the other believers in these churches say, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but that's God's work right there. They glorified God because of me. Why did they glorify God? Because they knew it was his work. Paul says, do you think I got this from some man? No. And I want to tell you, Christian, you didn't didn't just get convinced by great logic. This is what God did in your life. 
Philip Ryken wrote this. He said, what could account for the transformation in Paul's life? Certainly nothing in his religious background. The only thing that could explain it is the supernatural work of God. Notice that when Paul described his life before Christ, he used, this is, this is great, Think about Paul before Christ. He uses the first person as the subject of his sentences. I persecuted the church. I advanced in Judaism and so forth. His life afterwards was totally different. And when he described it, he had to use God as the subject. God chose him, God called him, and God revealed his son to him because it's all about God. All right. That's before in his conversion. We're going to get through the last part quickly, I promise. Paul says, now you've seen I didn't get this from any man. I got this straight from God. I've shown you because nobody like Paul would have been changed by just some human logic. This has got to be God's word, said this is God's gospel. Paul says, now I just want to make sure you know I wasn't taught it by man either. Just to seal up his case that he didn't receive his gospel from man, he notes his life after conversion Paul did not even learn his gospel from the other apostles. Jesus revealed it to him personally through the scriptures. Notice what Paul says. He says, I didn't even consult with anybody for three years. Or I even go up to Jerusalem for three years. He said, I didn't need it. I didn't need to talk to other apostles to verify this gospel and verify my calling as an apostle. I got that straight from Jesus. Look at Galatians 1, 16, 18. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles after me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Now let me tell you something after having spent years in seminary. 15 days is not enough to get your theology straight on anything. Believe me. Paul did not learn the gospel, nor did he get his calling to preach by visiting these apostles in Jerusalem. He was already doing that. Listen to what Acts chapter 9 says he did right after he got saved. Acts 9, 19 to 20, and verse 22. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That's before he went to Jerusalem. He didn't learn his gospel from these apostles. If he had been uncertain about the gospel, he could readily have gone to Jerusalem for a seminar with the apostles. But he didn't. Rather, he went immediately into Arabia, and it's doubtful that he went there to evangelize, but rather to be a student of the law. To read the Old Testament now through the lens of Christ. The product of these days in Arabia was the Christian theology that Paul explained in his epistle to the Romans. Paul is so serious about this. Read this last passage, Galatians 1, 19-21. He says, I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I don't lie. This is serious. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Paul says, when I got saved, I didn't consult with anyone about the gospel nor my apostleship. I didn't even go to Jerusalem until three years after. I was only with Peter 15 days. I only saw James. The other churches in Jerusalem didn't know me because I wasn't there for much time. Have I made my point yet? I wasn't taught this gospel by man. And you say, good grief, Paul. I mean, is it do you really need to be that stringent about this? Here's what John Stott said. 
Paul's first visit to Jerusalem was only after three years. It lasted only two weeks, and he saw only two apostles. It was therefore ludicrous to suggest that he obtained his gospel from the Jerusalem apostles. He goes out of his way to show us this gospel's not a human invention. Not even the apostles taught him this. This gospel is from God. Now listen, you say, what's the upshot for my life? I got... Three applications, and the Spirit's probably got a lot more, but here's three, okay? Number one, if this is not a man's gospel, and this gospel is from God, then be confident in what we have in the Scriptures. You can bank your life that this is not an illusion, this is not a lie, this is not man's invention. This is straight from God. It's worth banking your life upon. Number two, don't be moved from the hope of this gospel. Don't be moved from the hope of this gospel. Let's resolve as a church right now and resolve as families right now and resolve as individuals right now that we will, by God's grace, not be moved from this gospel so as to perish thinking some other promise is better. And I will teach this to my children. And I will hold it up. And I will not be moved. I will, I will, by God's grace, stand with gospel steel in my spine knowing this is from God. And the third application for those who might be here who don't know him, I want to tell you tonight, this gospel is from God, and he is willing to receive you. Oh, how patient he is to take a man like Paul and lead him all through his life and radically save him and call him out to be a preacher so that he could tell you God's patience is far beyond your ability to run. Come to Him. Receive Him. I'm going to pray for us that God would help us as a church, help us as families, and help us as individuals to appropriate all of this. And praise God for the book of Galatians. Let's pray. Father, thank You. You are good to us. Thank You for Your Word. This is not a man's invention. This is not illusory. This is from God. Oh, Jesus, I pray, help us as a church, help us as a church to bank our lives here, knowing that these are your words. This is your gospel. And Paul was your authorized representative. It's all true. It is all true. And I pray that you would be working working in any lives that might be here tonight, hearts that have not been surrendered to Christ, would you show them the absolute truth? That's a work that only you can do. And help us, God, as your people, to be urgent with this gospel, knowing this is what people need more than they need breath. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions about this message or Grace Bible Church, please contact us at info at gbclakeland.org or visit our website, gbclakeland.org. Thank you for listening.